Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes, Tim McKernan with you here on 101 ESPN. I've got a lot to get to. That's what you say when you mean business. Absolutely. i got a lot to get to. And for whatever reason, I've changed my voice when I say, I've got a lot to get to. The take voice. And, and it sounds like I went a little East Coast, too, and I didn't even mean to. I like it. I like it a lot. I really haven't done much East Coasting in my life, but, you know, uh, I've got a lot to get to. Uh, standing across from me is Boy of Tim and Boy. Uh, welcome to 101 ESPN. It's a program called Balloon Party. It also is known as Our Town. It's also known as Honesty and Media. And it's also known as Tim and Boy. Blues winning last night 4-1. to one, uh, Became a little tight there. 1-1. And then just like they've done when they have a bad game, say like Montreal and then Toronto, the bounce back. They have a situation where the Flyers tied. And then just moments later, the Blues respond. Another response last night. And they wind up winning the game 4-1. to one. I was wondering from a wagering perspective, if those goals at the end messed things up, the total was six and a half. So unless you like were on some bizarro world teaser, uh, Saad's goal there at the end probably didn't matter. Or if you were laying two and a half. And hey, there are all kinds of exotic wagers out there. But the Blues get the win. They head home now after winning in Philadelphia. But the biggest story of last night is Jordan Bennington and how good he looked. And he made some saves. Craig Berube said going into the game, just got to stop the pucks he should stop. And he did that last night. He gave his team a chance to win. Exact same spot where everything got going three years ago at this point. Oh, what are we talking? 37 months ago, January of 2019. Uh, Here is what Craig Berube had to say uh, following the festivities on what he saw from Jordan Bennington. Craig, I know you have a lot of faith in Jordan Bennington, but what does it take for you to to believe that he's back to being himself and consistent and you can rely on him without blinking? Well, I, I don't think I never did not rely on him or, you know, listen, every goalie goes through bad stretches in this league. And, um, you know, I don't think that uh, I don't, you know, I think he's he's ready to roll again. Like, you know, he had a really good game and, um, you know, I don't see any, you know, going the other way. That's just me. I believe in him. Craig Berube. All right. I could be off on this one. And I want to I want to get the uh, the read of our audience at 65780 with the Air Comfort Service uh, text line. I feel like his post-game comments are setting the stage for the return of Bennington. Mm. That's That was my read. Mm-hmm. It, it Again, I could be off the mark. I could be off the mark. And by the return of Bennington, what does that mean? The return of him getting more starts. That's That's my read. Listen, it's not like he shut down some monster offense. I mean, you know, the, the Leafs are the monster offense. Uh, he didn't get the start against the Leafs. Uh, it was the Flyers. But I feel like what they're trying to do is get him positioned to be the guy and, and, and massage that mentality. Um, so that was my sense from watching Barubi's postgame comments. Now, here is what Jordan Bennington had to say following uh, the festivities last night. Jordan, going forward, obviously St. Louis has two very good goalies. I know goalies like to be in the habit and being in the net every time, but going forward, how do you envision this and 
uh, what it is, what, is it, what will it take to stay focused, to be the net, sharing the net with QSO? Just take care of myself and uh, it'll play out how it plays out. We're both, uh, you know, great goalies and, um, you know, I think uh, as long as the team's winning, that's what our main focus is and, and uh, obviously just taking care of ourselves and pushing each other. So, you know, you can't predict the future. You just got to take it one day at a time for, and uh, that's the mindset. So if you listen to Bruby's comments and you hear Jordan Bennington talking about it's just good to get out there, is your read that the Blues are trying to get it back to where things were, well, I don't know, a month and a half ago that Bennington was getting the majority. Again, not all, but the majority of the starts. That's that's how, That was my takeaway from watching it. And also watching Bennington immediately after the game, uh, talking it over with uh, John Kelly and Darren Pang, it just sounded like he was thrilled to be back out on the ice, as thrilled as he's going to show. He isn't necessarily going to show a real high or a real low, but uh, he was just happy to be out there and also to perform. And of course, because it is where everything started in January of 2019, automatically, uh, perhaps the Blues, but certainly fans go, okay, maybe this can be the moment where he regains that that performance level uh, that got the Blues to the Stanley Cup in 2019. Yeah, no, he looked he looked really good last night. You I, were on the watch. I watched. Look at me. I, I watched. mean, the Volunteers were in Columbia. Yep, I forego I forego that, and I just that's I, not a word. It's just foregone. Not a word. It's just not a word. I don't even. I, I, I'm just going to move all my chips in on foregoed is not a word, and I, and that means you can bankrupt me right here. No, I don't think it is either, but I, it's what <laughs> yeah, I did. It's good. So you're going to fold, so my chips are back. Yeah, exactly. But I did watch the game, and I think a big confidence booster was getting those two breakaway saves right at the beginning. That's true. I and think, they talked about that after the game. You're right. I think that was huge for him, and then he kind of – and they played much faster. Um, my reference point is the game against the Canadiens, uh, and they played a lot better, and the game was a lot more fun to watch. Uh, but Tarasenko getting in the mix, Shen, former flyer, getting in the mix. So that game was a lot better for me to watch. I enjoyed that much more. Uh, let's see. Binner is the guy. They aren't going to pay him $6 million to be a backup. The team finally played for him. That was the difference. That's from the 618. Uh, also from the 618, uh, they need to get him back to his old shape. Uh, so that is uh, the sense that I got is that they are going to try to. I'm anxious to see what they do here over the weekend. Sabres Friday night, Blackhawks Sunday afternoon, and see how they decide to handle it. But that's my read. And, that, and I just, I feel, I feel like one of Barubi's strengths is the communication he has with his players, but then also psychologically preparing them, whether it be uh, when things are not going right, lifting them up, or when things are going well, kind of tamping it down to not get too excited. In other words, the proverbial, the coach isn't going to let you get too high with the highs or too low with the lows. And that's just that's that was my takeaway from it, um, is that they're trying to get him to be the guy. Now, you can sit there and say, hey, of course they are, because he's the one who has a contract, who so isn't. And so they've got to have him be the guy. They've got to have, they don't have a choice. He has to be the guy. But you could make the case that, well, he might not be right, and so therefore they're just going to go with who so. Uh, while they still have him. Jackson doesn't even watch hockey, and he says Canadians, like a douchebag hockey fan, would say it. That's odd. That's from the 314. Jackson, uh, would you like to answer this gentleman? Uh, because you did call them the Habs last week, <laughs> and I nearly collapsed uh, when you said it. Yeah, well, I say Canadians, and I also say Toronto Maple Leafs, not the Leaves. So look at me. 
So you're feeling really good about yourself right yeah, I'm now a puck in, this, guy. in this first segment. I'm a puck guy. Shut up, boy. <laughs> That's from the I can't 314. Win. I can't win. I watch, I get killed. I don't watch, you get killed. Did boy start watching at halftime, or did you watch all four quarters of the game? That's from funny, the 314. Intermissions are a little long, but... Uh, Guys, a dumb moment for me. He was never as good as he played in 2019, nor as bad as he played the past two months. Well, I would I would say that that's 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 an accurate statement. I mean, what he did in 2019, what he did in the first period against the Bruins is superhuman. The first like eight minutes of Game Seven against the Bruins is superhuman. That was superhuman. It was a it was a lifetime of an organization defining stretch of eight minutes of hockey, of eight minutes of goaltending. Because if just two of those go in, maybe even one of them, I, 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 mean, I think the Bruins lift the Stanley Cup. So it was that defining. So if the rest of his tenure goes poorly, it's like, well, for those eight minutes, you got St. Louis the Stanley Cup. So from that standpoint, I will always love I just I find the guy's personality to be just it's perfect for a goaltender. Right. It's it can be bat crap crazy when he's. When he's irritated, but if things, you know, post game, he's like, you know, do I look nervous? But last night, he's like, yeah, it was nice to get back in there, but, you know, he's not going to get too worked up about the whole thing. Uh, hey, Tim, are there any men listening to Tim and Boy that would like to sleep with me in the Jets Pizza parking lot next to Olive and Oak? It's from the recovering alcoholic from Belleville and Webster Groves. Uh, I don't know. These are kind of like misconnections on Craigslist nice that, that are coming in. It's not the question I anticipated reading when I looked down, but that's the question that I got. Uh, guys, the beginning of the season, he was the reason they were on a lot of those games and won. That's from the 618. And that's what I think that they know, that when he's right, he gives them the best chance. Understandably, fans see it and they go, ah, they're, they, they're going to play the contract. And I get that. Because if anything, here in St. Louis, we're hypersensitive to seeing a guy get played for a contract. See Matt Carpenter as being Exhibit A for most people in recent history. I just don't think that's necessarily the case because, unlike Carpenter, where it had been it had been a kind of a drastic decline, but it just continued, 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 minus a couple of months in 2018. This had been going on for a while. With Bennington, you don't have to go far back in history to see him playing at a high level. So that, so from that standpoint, it, it to me is something that you can recapture, and I think they feel like their ceiling is higher if he is the guy. Yes, coincidentally, of course, he's the man under contract, but I think they think their, ce- uh, their ceiling is higher if he's in there. Speaking of Matt Carpenter, what an article. Uh, this morning, out of nowhere, on Matt Carpenter traveling around the country and talking with Joey Votto and Matt Holiday and a bunch of people in baseball to try to rediscover his swing. This uh, story came out of nowhere. Uh, I will detail it for you when we come back. You are listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan with you. Action Jackson on the ones and twos. So I weaved from Jordan Bennington to Matt Carpenter. But there was intent with my weave. There was intent with this transition. Because Ken Rosenthal just posted an article to The Athletic. uh, An in-depth feature. And I'm talking in-depth this isn't just like, hey, Matt Carpenter is interested in continuing to play baseball. This is an off-season's worth of reporting 
and an incredible story on Matt Carpenter giving Joey Votto a call right, uh, well, not right after the regular season, but in October, and trying to figure out how Votto, who was in a similar spiral, uh, regained form. And Carpenter uh, contacted him, not knowing that Votto was on vacation, and they started texting. He then apologized and said, oh, I didn't know you were on vacation. We can talk another time. But Votto uh, immediately reached out to him and said, no, let's talk about it now, because Votto experienced the same thing. Uh, From the article, uh, Votto said, I've never had my heart broken in relationships. I've had my heart broken those few years when I was playing poorly. Joey Votto from 2018 through 2020 saw his offensive production plunge. Matt Carpenter, similar situation after he went on a tear in 2018. And around St. Louis, a guy who, I, you know, sometimes you have a player who the community in any in any region dislikes. Um, but it's not necessarily because of the personality of the player. It's because the player is making a bunch of money, the organization continues to play him, and therefore there is anger directed toward that player. But I don't think too many people disliked Matt Carpenter, the person or the personality he publicly displayed. I don't really know how you could, but I I know that he was certainly in the center of the dartboard during frustration calls and texts on sports talk radio throughout St. Louis over the last few years. And by the way, justifiably so. Mm-hmm. Whether one likes somebody or dislikes them, I have an obligation to call it how I see it with regards to professional performance. And his performance was incredibly subpar. Uh, so he reached out to Votto. He was not done. I honestly thought when the Cardinals let him go, he was probably going to shut it down. Yeah, that would be, be the thought. It's not the case. Uh, reading from TheAthletic.com and Ken Rosenthal's story, where you can read this in its entirety, uh, Carpenter is 36, is a year younger than Votto. And uh, he said, if anything, his decline had been even more precipitous. In 2018, Carpenter had 36 home runs and finished ninth in the National League MVP balloting. But he regressed in 19, and then his own words basically fell off a cliff. His numbers the past two seasons, a combined 176 batting average, seven home runs, a 605 OPS, turned him into a bench player. The Cardinals, the team that drafted him in the 13th round out of TCU in the 2009 draft, declined his $18.5 million option at the end of last season, making him a free agent. But Carpenter is not ready to concede that his career is nearing its end. Quote, I'm extremely motivated to keep playing and not just keep playing. I don't want to fill a roster spot. I really feel like I've got more left in the tank to be a productive major league player. So to fulfill that belief, he spent this offseason traveling around the country trying to fix his swing. He visited a cutting edge baseball performance lab in Baton Rouge, private hitting instructors in California and a trusted former teammate in Stillwater, Oklahoma. That trusted former teammate, Matt Holliday. So Carpenter has spent this offseason driving around the country trying to figure out a way to get it back. Now, I think a lot of people go, well, Matt Carpenter can't get it back unless he can stop hitting into the shift. And even though we've talked a little bit this week on the show, and I think it's been discussed on 101 ESPN throughout the week, and Joe Buck and I talked about it in uh, the podcast interview, 
that's available on the Tim McKernan Show podcast that they may at some point consider outlawing the shift. Uh, at this moment, it is still in play. So Carpenter, in talking to Votto, tried to figure out a way to regain form, if it is even regainable for somebody at this point in their career. And this is what Votto said. I'm pretty steady when I share my opinion on things. I try not to get emotional or raise my voice. But he's a high-end performer, a competitive person used to playing at a certain level. There were moments where I was talking pretty firmly to him, raising my voice, using cuss words. I was like, dude, come on, let's effing go. You can do this. I was like Tony Robbins, basically. I was jibing him with what he was feeling. He was like, yes. Carpenter used a pen and pad to take notes. The impact of the conversation on him was so profound, he recalled it lasted three and a half hours. Votto said it lasted 45 minutes. I feel like I have some of these incidents where I think things lasted longer. Quote, I hung up the phone and I was fired up, Carpenter said. I was already extremely motivated because of the way it had ended for me in St. Louis. And when I got off the phone call with Joey, I was even more motivated. So he bounces around the country and he is on a mission now to reclaim what he feels like is his and that is his baseball career but again not just to make a team to keep making money but to actually start for a major league team and at this hitting facility in baton rouge um, they apply the concepts from golf using Mm. three measurements to calculate calculate what a player's maximum exit velocity should be under specific conditions at the lab on the days tested lower body strength is measured measured through a vertical jump core strength through an overhead toss of an 8.8 pound medicine ball at the end of a sit-up upper body strength from a chest pass of the medicine ball from a sitting position carpenter said he was above major league average across the board in all three measurements but when it came to the analysis of swing he was considerably behind the other two major leaguers in the lab the lab uses a dual force plate centered on the ground to measure a player's vertical horizontal and torque force when swinging and a 3d motion capture system to assess different areas of the body and all the data was showing it carpenter said it wasn't necessarily a strength thing it wasn't aging it was flat out my swing had gotten out of sorts. And I'm sure everybody listening to this show goes, yeah, we are aware. We saw it firsthand. Uh, Jackson, when a player goes on a quest like this, Mm -hmm. I feel like in some capacity, it's almost ceremonial. Yeah. In that he or she cannot accept the time has arrived. Right. And it's time to move on. Yeah. But... We have seen some people, Votto being an example, an obvious one, because he's cited as the person Carpenter reached out to, reclaim it after what seems like the career death spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, with regards to Matt Carpenter, do you think we will see him back in the major leagues? I'm going to say no, unless they ban the shift. If they ban the shift, I think you see him back. If they do not ban the shift, I do not see Matt Carpenter taking another at-bat in the major leagues. I would love to see it for his sake because I feel like he really is a good guy. Yeah. Uh, he came on TMA before, I believe, the 2019 season. And it wasn't like he was somebody who was a regular on the show. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to come on. And he wanted to, for lack of a better term, apologize for his performance. Uh, but he was so confident that he was going to regain it. And as you may have heard me say a little earlier in the article, his 2019 it was a disaster, and then it got worse in 2020, and it got worse in 2021. 
So that forces me to go, okay, is this a guy who, you know, is in his mid or late 30s and shows up and goes, I'm in the best shape of my life, right? which right. is just a way to kind of con yourself into it. Or you're like, man, I was kind of out of shape last year and I got in shape, but still realistically, you can't be in the best shape of your life because it's so difficult to acquire in your late 30s versus when everything's in your favor in your early 20s. And that is what I think is probably going on here. Mm-hmm. I would love to see it. It would be a great story. It might frustrate some Cardinal fans, but again, I don't think Cardinal fans are mad at Matt Carpenter. I mean, if you are at a business and the business offers you a ridiculous, and I'm not even talking about ridiculous in the sense of the size of the dollars, but I'm talking about the fact that he was offered it when he was, I have no idea what that was about when it happened. I'm dead serious. When I saw that release emailed to me, I'm like, I wonder what this is about. And then when I found out it was a Matt Carpenter extension, it's one of the most confusing Cardinal moves I've witnessed in my lifetime of watching the Cardinals. I don't know what that was all about. Mm -hmm. Still confuses me, but either way, I'm not mad at Matt Carpenter for it. I'm irritated that the Cardinals did it. So I don't think people are mad at Matt Carpenter. I think if the Cardinals let him go and then he comes out and goes absolutely wild this year, they go, oh my God, they missed it again. But in this case, Carpenter is acknowledging that everything was out of whack and he had to go see Matt Holliday. He had to go and have this conversation with Joey Votto and he had to go to these swing labs and instructors to try to figure it out and get it back. And so that is what he has done. But if he does do it, it will not be with the Cardinals, and if he does do it and he gets it back, that would be one heck of a story. You'd have people in St. Louis going, what in the world? What did we miss with this guy? But I just think, I think, listen, I'd love to see it. I think it most likely is over. Speaking of most likely being over, I think in the last week, but specifically the last 18 hours, we have seen a legend in his particular sport take a fall uh, quicker than perhaps we've seen an athlete in recent times take. Uh, We'll tell you who, why, and the latest on that story on the other side of our commercial break. You are listening to Balloon Party, also known as Tim and Boy, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We've got your... Playing your own music now, bro? Yeah, yeah, that was my band. Oh, <laughs> now you had one. I'll have to come out and see you. Yeah. Welcome back to Tim and Boy, where Boy plays his own music. It's 101 ESPN. Jackson, I'm putting you on the spot. All right. Since 2000, mm. hashtag Mount Rushmore of athletes in their respective sports who not only are beloved, so I'm, I've got a graph here on the x axis. We have accomplishment. Okay. On the y-axis, we have likability in their sports fan base. On the spot, as you know, I didn't give you any time to no, think about not. this, so you have, you have. Oh, I'll, I'll give you ten seconds. Four major sports, right? Uh, no, I'm going uh, beyond that. I'm including golf to set up my whole segment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that's a nice hint. Tiger Woods. I'll go. LeBron James, I'll go Mike Trout, I'll go uh, I'll go Tom Brady. You, you Mike are on the Mount Rushmore. There, there are just four presidents. So that, so that was my fourth, Tom Brady. That's correct. All right, because I had a, I, it sensed based on your vocal pattern that you were going to just start adding nine or ten people to Mount Rushmore. Well, you notice I left hockey off. Yeah, I have a feeling on the Air Comfort Service <laughs> text line. 
they won't miss that. Uh, but uh, I don't know. The, the Tiger thing is, in a way, revisionist history, I think. I think the likability... Now, again, I, I think it's important to tell the audience that here on Tim and Boy, Jackson is the latter and, <laughs> and was born in 1998. So you might not be aware of this, but I felt like... Up until the last few years, Tiger Woods was a polarizing figure. Yeah, from the years of 08 till before that, though, even for some, really, yeah. I, and I and I know that might see it's might seem odd to even say. Uh, I think Bra- I think in a way, Tom Brady's kind of got that. I think in St. Louis, the the lingering elements of the Super Bowl 36 and the and Spygate. Yeah, I think he's turned the corner though. Well, that's what I'm saying, and I yeah. think so. I, I don't know. I, I, let me put it this way: If Tiger Woods wins the Masters in 2009. So before okay. Thanksgiving 2009, which was right. when everything started for him in his personal life, uh, I don't think nearly as many people would have been excited as they were in, when he won it in 2019. You follow my yeah. oh, thought process. Yeah. In other words, his approval rating went up. Yes. I think the same thing is the case with Brady, because I think there became an appreciation as time went on for the fact that they were still doing it, uh-huh. and they were as great as they were, and I think people like to watch greatness over a long period of time that they can say they watched one of the greats. I don't think people are necessarily consciously thinking of that, but I think subliminally that's what's going on. It's my opinion. Um, I don't know. I don't, and I would disagree with you on the LeBron James thing, not to say that I don't like him. I'm just, this is like family feud. It's not necessarily what I would say, but a hundred people were surveyed and here's what I'm going to say. I don't think LeBron James has as much likability that I would put him on the Mount Rushmore. Right, I think the greatness is there. I think Steph Curry, I'll change it out for. I think he's universally really well liked and he's his. So Steph Curry would replace LeBron, LeBron. James. Yeah. The, the point being for the purpose to, to not allow you to, to indulge your NBA fetish in my golf segment. Right. In my first ever balloon party golf segment. Yeah. I keep my golf thing off to the side because I recognize most people, when it gets down to it, they're just not as into it as I am. So I recognize it and I don't get into it. But this one goes beyond the game of golf. We're not talking about who's the best wedge player. Uh, I would say that Phil Mickelson is at least in the mix for that description. Likeability for sure. Yes. Uh, and when he won the PGA Championship last year, I think similar to Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl for people who might not have liked him, and you know he was known as Fig Jam, and you can look up what that stands for. Uh, that that people are like, man, this is incredible to see a 50-year-old win a major. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw Nicholas win at 86 at 46 years old. This is incredible. What a cool thing! And over the last week, and then specifically yesterday. It came crashing down. Plummeted. I mean crashing down. And and here is here is how it started. There has been discussion, and some of you know this, and I'm sure some of you don't, about Saudi Arabia uh, creating funding a golf league to compete with the PGA Tour. And names such as Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, uh, Adam Scott, have been mentioned as joining this tour. And then if you leave the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour says you're banned for life. You're done. You're not coming back. Mm -hmm. So Mickelson did an interview with a guy who would kind of be like Ken Rosenthal for golf, Alan Shipnuck. He's a respected golf writer. Mm -hmm. Shipnuck is writing a book, an unauthorized biography, I should note, on Mickelson that is scheduled to come out in the month of May. And Mickelson did an interview with Shipnuck in November in which he talked about his interest in playing 
in this Saudi golf league. And for the record, uh, a number of the events would be in the United States. It would just be bankrolled by Saudi Arabia, and Greg Norman was going to be uh, the commissioner. And Mickelson said regarding the Saudis, quote, they're scary mother effers to get involved with. We know they killed uh, Washington Post reporter and U.S. resident Jamal Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. They've been able to get by with manipulative, coercive, strong-arm tactics because we, the players, had no recourse. As nice a guy as PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan comes across as, unless you have leverage, he won't do what's right. And the Saudi money has finally given us that leverage. I'm not sure I even want the SGL, Saudi Golf League, to succeed, but just the idea of it is allowing us to get things done with the PGA Tour. Those are Mickelson's quotes to Shipnuck. So over the weekend, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson say they're out. The league collapses. It's over. Mickelson hadn't issued a statement until yesterday, and he issues a long apology. I'm not going to bother reading it, but the key thing that I want to focus on here is Mickelson said the comments were off the record. Hmm. Now, Alan Shipnuck, again, I want to make this clear because I think it's important for context. Honestly, as big of a golf fan as I am and as much as I play and daily fantasy and all of that stuff, uh, I don't know him well. I know of him, but I don't know him well. You say Ken Rosenthal, you say Buster Olney, you know, I, I, I know these names, and I would imagine the audience certainly does as well. Alan Shipnuck, I'm just trying to draw an analogy for the audience's purposes that this guy is a credible writer. And Shipnuck after Mickelson said that uh, the comments were uh, off the record, Shipnuck fired back, uh, and uh, the writer for the Fire Pit Collective and author of this soon-to-be-released Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar, stands by the excerpt from his book about Mickelson saying he was one of the architects behind the proposed Saudi League, and despite the country's oppressive regime, he hoped to use the League, um... And uh, Shipnick said, quote, he sent me a text on the morning the excerpt dropped, and he was less than thrilled. Just as in the statement he released on Tuesday afternoon, Mickelson made a half-hearted attempt at revisionist history, trying to say our talk had been a private conversation, but I shut that down real quickly. Now, I've set the stage for you. Some of you, I'm sure, of course, aware of this. It's a huge story that has transcended sports. With that said, when I was reading Mickelson's comments last week, it read like something that was off the record. Now, I'm not saying that it was, right? but for him to say the things that he said in a career that has spanned going back three-plus decades at this point, he knows how to play the game. And in saying, once again about his potential business partners, their scary mother efforts to get right. involved with, they execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape the P- how the PJ Tour operates. They've been able to get by with manipulative, coercive, strong-arm tactics because we, the players, had no recourse. And the Saudi money has finally given us leverage. Here is why I say it's, I think there's a chance it was off the record or that Mickelson at the very least thought it was off the record. Because if you are using something as leverage, you don't announce to the world you are using as leverage. Uh, Yeah, that's a good call. (laughs) Now, I'm not really playing high-level poker with this analysis here. This isn't meta, but I I, I recall reading it, and, and the article came out while we were on the air on TMA. Yeah, yep. 
And I'm just like, look, where'd this come from? These are these are these are huge statements. Yeah. It turns out it was an interview in November, as I said, for the book. But for Mickelson to announce he was using it as leverage struck me as a really weird negotiating stance. Right. And like you said, to call the possible future future business partner scary MFers is, right. is also something, a strange move from a guy, like you said, who knows the game. So we have had this happen in sports over the years. You've had it happen in politics. You've yep. had it happen with entertainers mm-hmm. in which people think something is off the record and then all of a sudden they read it. And they go, oh, my goodness. Now, Shipnick, again, insists that he knew and that Mickelson reached out to him to talk to make sure that they could have this discussion regarding the Saudi Golf League. But when I read when I read Mickelson's comments, I'm going, there's no way that he thought this was going to be public. There's just no way. Now, that again, that doesn't mean that that Mickelson is lying. That doesn't mean that Shipnick is lying. What I honestly think is that Mickelson thought that it was off the record, right. and because he didn't specifically say this is off the record, Shipnuck went with it because he's like, well, of course this is on the record. You reached out to me. Now, with all of that said, it's happened. As they say, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Right. So here is a guy who, when he won the PGA Championship less than a year ago, was positioned for real to get not necessarily Tony Romo money, but something comparable to sit alongside Jim Nance mm. and just play some Champions Tour events whenever he wants and maybe do some pay-per-view events and cash 10 to $12 million a year for broadcasting. Yeah. Who at this moment... If he were to show up in Palm Beach Gardens at PGA National for the Honda Classic this week, I'm not sure they would even applaud him. Mm. And a week ago, he had some of the highest equity in the game of golf with the casual fan. People loved him. He walks around. I remember seeing him at Belle Reve a few years ago, smiling with the thumbs up, thumbs up when he won the PGA Championship, thumbs up when he would pop up on those pay-per-views. He was entertaining his all get-out. At this point, he is persona non grata. He has said that he is now going to step away from the game for a while. This book is coming out in May. Um, the expectation uh, per a number of people, I was reading yesterday and broadcasting yesterday, is that it is going to be ugly. Mm. His sponsors, now he said, I'm going to give my sponsors the opportunity to walk away. Uh, his sponsors took him up on that. Whether or not they did that before he said it, we don't know. But here is a guy who has gone in a matter of in a matter of really a week, because it all started Sunday morning with Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau stand, stepping away from that. Rory McIlroy absolutely stomped on him after his round at the yep. Genesis. That he is he's he's on an island, and him and Justin Thomas, who's friends with, distance himself from it. This is comparable to the Tiger Woods collapse. It's just a different different avenue, right. but it doesn't have anything to do with how he played or how he acted on the course. It's how he played and acted away from it that has impacted it. And from my standpoint, it is one of the quickest declines in public approval rating that I can recall in recent memory in sport. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Just like you said, just the most equity one can have to the least amount one can have all in the matter of a week and all based off comments that whether or not they were on or off the record 
are out there, and he's not denying that he said it either. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out, especially once that book comes out in May. Uh, guys, why is Mickelson getting in trouble over this when the NBA is in bed with China, the worst human rights offenders? That's from the 636. Well, I will take it another direction. Uh, the Olympics were just in China. So the, the NBA and the China thing, one conversation. The Olympics were just in China, and the U.S. was there. I do find it to be, if we're going to start talking about human rights and who we can be working with and where we can be playing, to kind of conveniently leave one out but focus on beating up on a guy over the other, the issue with Mickelson was not just the fact that he was willing to get into bed with Saudi Arabian money. And again, it wasn't like they were going to play all of the events there, the European tour. Uh, plays events there, and plenty of guys from the U.S. play in some of those events yep. over there. But it was the fact that he was saying this and also saying that the PGA Tour had been limiting the ability for the players to make money, when in reality, whether people like it or not, the PGA Tour gave him the platform to make the money that he makes. And this is coming from somebody that is amused as all get out by Phil Mickelson and loves to watch when he plays and really likes listening to him talk about the game. Yeah. But some of the things he was saying was were, were asinine. And, the, and these weren't just things that were in the Shipnuck interview. They were other things, talking about how they're sitting on $800 million in cash reserves and they're not sharing and there should be NFT opportunities for the players. Well, the reality is, if Paul Goldschmidt hits a home run and then he afterwards were talking about, I should have the right to make that an NFT, everybody go, what are you talking about, dude? You know? Yeah. Uh, it's it's the it's the league that that has that right. That's that's so Mickelson was saying some things that were just really strange. But in this exchange with Shipnuck, I do think, and I'm not saying that it makes it right or wrong. That's 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 neither here nor there. Because again, the genie's out of the bottle. But I look at it and I go, there is no way he thought that that was on the record. Now that's his own fault. Mm-hmm. I have done interviews before. Things are on the record. Things are off the record. You understand when you're talking. And you cannot violate that. Man, you cannot violate that. It's never forgotten and word gets around. I just don't think that Alan Shipnuck at this point in his career and Phil Mickelson at this point in his career would not know the difference. And I think it was a miscommunication. I really do. Uh, and I think it's wound up playing a role in the destruction of Phil Mickelson. With that said, um, and I can't recall the gentleman's name, and I don't have it up, and I apologize. Uh, well-respected golf writer said, the only thing that I can say that sums this up better is now you, this is from a tour player, now you all know what we've known for a long time. In other words, this is mm. on brand for Mickelson's conduct. Mm. So those people are not standing up for him. Nobody on tour is standing up for Mickelson, and he's blowing in the wind, even though in reality, the Saudi Golf League had 19 other players that were ready to announce the week of the Players' Championship that they had created this new league. And players ranging from Dustin Johnson to Bryson DeChambeau to Adam Scott, you're talking about major winners, joining Mickelson and going over there and playing events here, but all being under the guise of the Saudi Golf League and leaving the PGA Tour. It was going to be a substantial move in American sport. Like golf, don't like golf, that's not the discussion. It was going to be a breakaway tour with major winners, not just like random guys, substantial players. Uh, DeChambeau, a rising star in the game, Johnson, a, a Masters winner here within the last couple of years, and now the whole thing is falling apart, but the guy catching all the hell is Phil Mickelson, one of the most popular players in American sport since 2000. All right, there it is. Your thoughts are welcome. 65780 is how you can text in Air Comfort Service text line on the other side of our commercial break. So 
What'd your grandma think? That's coming up next. And then BK and Ferrario will take you over at the top of the hour with their show at 11 o'clock. Tim McKernan, Jackson Burkett with you. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sometimes the media asks bad questions. Not not a good question. Like, Coach, uh, how cool was it that it was a Wisconsin player that uh, sank the winning shot? Well, they're all Wisconsin players. Or... I'm doing a story about New Year's resolutions, and I was just wondering if you had any you wanted to share with your fans and our readers. Yeah, no, not right now. Okay, thanks. And when that happens, players will fire back. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? Stop asking me stupid questions. Now it's time for... So what's your grandma think? Strong. Always is. What do we have going on here today, Jackson? Well, we got current Minnesota Timberwolf, former Baylor Bear, Torian Prince, uh, after a game against Yale. And uh, he's kind of explaining the game of basketball to a reporter. Nice. How does Baylor get out-rebounded by Yale? Hmm. How's that happen? Are you directing that towards anyone? Gentleman who just talked about getting out-rebounded. He, he had the stat sheet. Torian? Uh, Torian said, how do... They yeah, have, they I mean, have you, more rebounds you, you said he got out-rebounded. I was surprised. You did. 36-32. How so, does Yale out-rebound Baylor? Um, you go up and grab the ball off the rim when it comes off, and then you grab it with two hands, and you come down with it, and that's considered a rebound. So they got more of those than we did. Nice. All right, boys, that'll wrap it up. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Any other questions, you good boys? It's always good to not address what player you're talking to before the the question. Direct it after when you make a smart-ass comment to a player. I got to say this, though. Again, because one of the names of the show, which Mm. is approaching, what, four or five names? Yeah. Honesty and Media. Right. I didn't think it was that bad of a question. I enjoyed the answer. Right. I want to make that clear. I enjoyed the answer, but... If I'm a reporter and Baylor had just been out-rebounded by Yale, and did Yale win that game? I can't imagine. I feel I like I would have heard about it if, it, if that had happened. So. I think that was a tournament game, so I do not believe so. But maybe it was closer yes. than expected. For sure. And the gentleman's writing a story trying to explain to his audience as to why this Baylor-Yale showdown was closer and the fact that Yale out-rebounded Baylor, it would make sense to ask one of the leading rebounders what happened. Right. How does that happen? And that, that while I enjoyed <laughs> the answer, the question didn't necessarily warrant the denigrating response. No. There is my verdict. Honesty and media. On, on, on once again, honesty and media, also known as Tim and Boy. Yeah. Uh, Jackson, I guess it's time to shut it down. Just like that, the fastest hour in radio. Yeah. Uh, Tim and Boy, they the move books. fast. Uh, BK and Ferrario are coming up next. Thank you all for listening to another edition. If you missed it, you can go back and podcast it. Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Listen to Balloon Party anytime you want. BK and Ferrario up next. This is 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial.
Peloton, motivation that moves you. 